wife and uh, got our four-month-old son, Donovan. He's there right now. Everybody take a look back because I know you'll be doing it all during the message. That's Donovan, our son. We love him very much, and we're excited to have him as part of our family. John chapter number four here tonight. John chapter number four. If you would join me tonight, if you would stand for the reading of God's word and turn your Bibles to John chapter number four. Was back and forth on what I was going to preach tonight. I actually used to be indecisive. Now I'm not so sure. Where are the ameners at tonight? Anybody ameners here? Would you classify? They are? Where you at? Okay, I'm preaching over here, all right? Everybody else? Hopefully you bring it along here tonight. John chapter number four, we'll begin reading in verse number 43. And then we'll continue down through the rest of this passage through verse number 54. If you would follow along with me silently as I read aloud, John chapter number four, verse number 43. The Bible says, now after two days... He departed thence and went into Galilee, speaking of Jesus here, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then, when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at their feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman who was sick at Capernaum, whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, And he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and and himself believed, and his whole house. This This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated here tonight. And I would like to have a word of prayer here tonight before I preach a message that I've entitled, Not Exactly What You Want to Hear. Not Exactly What You Want to Hear. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Uh, Tonight we give you thanks for your love for us. Thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ, Lord, and having come just fresh off the Christmas week and the celebration that is the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, Lord, may we never forget, may we always keep in our minds the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift this world has ever known. Almighty God, I ask tonight that you would speak to hearts, Lord. I believe that you desire and can and will speak to us anytime this book is open. And so tonight, Father, would you work, would you speak to our hearts in the way that only you can. You know each individual heart. You know every need, every situation, every circumstance here tonight. Would you get me out of the way that your Holy Spirit could do its work tonight? I'll give you the thanks and the glory. Bless my folks in our church back home as I'm away tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to take you back with me on a journey to second grade. The year 2003, as I remember it. So that's probably dating myself there for you who are trying to figure out. I'm 28, going to be 29 here in February. Um, Second grade, every year 
You could probably identify with some of this stuff here. Every year before we started school, uh, we would go shopping for new clothes. We'd go school shopping, and we'd get new clothes to look nice on the first day of school and throughout the school year and so on and so forth. And this year before school, my mom bought me this sweatsuit. This wasn't any old sweatsuit, though. This was a yellow sweatsuit with a number zero, zero on the front of it with matching yellow pants. I mean, I was looking good, man. And I thought it was so great, and I could not wait to wear it. And I remember when I walked into school with it in my classroom, and I had it on, and I was greeted by my favorite teacher of all time, Mrs. Harvey. How many had a favorite teacher in school? On the count of three, name that favorite teacher with me real quick, okay? One, two, three. Sounds like everybody went to the same school. Ms. Harvey was the best teacher. Actually, me and my, my buddy Dylan, who was in that class with me, we met, we, we be, we've been friends since pre-K. And uh, we had the opportunity when I was in Bible college, I think about my junior or, or sophomore year, somewhere in there, we got to come home on a Christmas break and actually reconnect with our teacher all these years later and got to take her out to dinner and thank for her investment in our life, good Christian lady and all those different things. But I remember when I walked into my classroom this morning, Ms. Harvey saw me wearing this sweatsuit and she said, she said, you look really nice. And for a second grade kid who was just gleaming with confidence, especially when somebody says a compliment like that, I, I, my eyes lit up and I thanked her and I walked to my desk. And I proceeded for the next several weeks to wear that same sweatsuit to school. My mom took notice and she tried to tell me one day that I could not wear it. How dare she? She told me that I could not wear my sweatsuit, to which I replied, I tried to best explain, she just did not understand. She had no idea. I said, Mom, you don't understand. Miss Harvey likes this sweatsuit. She thinks I look nice in this. I got to wear it to school. And in that moment, I was being told by my mom, in conjunction with the title of the message, something that I did not want to hear. I think the only time that my mom was able to get that away from me for those first few weeks is when I went to bed so that she could wash it and I could wear it the next day. But I didn't want to hear that I couldn't wear my favorite sweatsuit to school because I thought that I really wanted, I needed to wear it. And so when my mom told me that, I said, I didn't say it, but I, in my heart and my mind, I'm saying, man, that's not something I really want to hear my mom say at this time. And while that's a little humorous and, and, and not really all that important, not that big a deal for a second grade kid and wanting to wear his favorite sweatsuit to school, I want to ask you this. How do you respond when it's something more serious? For example, when the news says that a teenager was killed in a shooting, it's not that I want to turn a blind eye to what's going on in my community or just bury my head in the sand or anything like that, but I really try not to watch the news because it seems like on the news it's nothing but bad news. Another person was killed in a shooting. What about when the doctor says it's worse than we thought? What do you do tonight when you hear something that's not exactly what you want to hear? I want to answer that question here in the next few moments. Tonight we see in our text a man who was told something that he didn't want to hear, but I'm here to tell you tonight, what he heard changed his life. What this man heard changed his life. We have here in, the, in our text just painted the scene and the scenario for us that, that Jesus was on his way to, to Cana of Galilee. He had just left Samaria, and you know the story in Samaria where Jesus went through Samaria, where the scripture says that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, but he went to Samaria to visit one person. 
I'm thankful that, and, and I'm excited, and I, I love reading about Jesus and the multitudes and the feeding of the 5,000, the multitudes that were there listening to him and, and preaching and teaching and all these different things. But I'm thankful that Jesus cared enough about one person. And he went to Samaria to visit this woman at the well, came in the heat of the day to get water from this well, and left with the living water. And this account here is coming right off the heels of that as he's coming from Samaria into Galilee. And the Bible says that he didn't go to Nazareth, his hometown, where he would normally resort to because a prophet had no honor in his own country. Wouldn't be as well received because, because you, you might identify with this. In, in places where they know you very well, there's probably a lot. There's, there are people who, who, who watch Jesus grew up, and so really what could Jesus teach them? And then there were people who knew Jesus very well, so there was nothing really new that Jesus could say to them. So, so he decided instead of going back to home to Nazareth, he would go to Cana of Galilee. Cana of Galilee was also where in John chapter 2, he turned the water into wine. And so that was his first miracle, going back to this place where he did this miracle. And the scripture says that in Galilee, he was welcomed. He was welcomed with joy and with gladness and, and, and warm reception, as the Bible says, that they all welcomed him. But here's the reason why. Listen to this. It said that when he was coming to Galilee, they received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem. It wasn't that they were so happy that Jesus had come to town. They were so happy to see Jesus and that he was here because they had heard of all the miracles that he had done. Understand this as we get into the message. There is nothing wrong with being glad and being happy to see miracles. But Jesus is getting at something that's far more important than him performing miracles. He's getting at something that's far more significant than turning water into wine or what he was getting ready to do in the later portion of this chapter. But they're so excited and they're so happy to have Jesus because of the miracles that he had seen, that they had seen him do. And as he's there, the scripture says he's encountered by this nobleman in Capernaum. Nobleman meaning that he belonged to some kind of sovereign Sovereign uh, uh, group or, 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 or preeminent, he, he was a, a leader in the community of some sort. And the scripture says that this nobleman in Capernaum had a son who was sick. So he's in Cana of Galilee, and the Bible says that the man's son was sick at Capernaum. I did the research a while ago, and Capernaum was 16 and a half miles northeast of Cana. Most of the time when they commuted to different places, they went how? How'd they get there? They walked. So this man has walked 16 and a half miles to Cana of Galilee because he knew that Jesus was going to be there. I, I, I count myself as somewhat of a runner, if you could say that. I run a 5K maybe a couple times throughout the year, which is 3.1 miles. I can't imagine running 16 and a half miles, let alone walking that distance. But here he is. He's, he's traveled this distance because he knows that Jesus is going to be in town. And listen to this tonight, church. He knew that Jesus could do something about it. He knew that there was something that Jesus could do about his son who was sick all the way back in Capernaum. And so he made this journey in faith, understanding that if I could just get to Jesus, he can heal my son. It wouldn't have been unlike Jesus to heal, to restore, to deliver. We see all throughout the Gospels. John chapter 9, he healed a man who was blind from birth. John chapter 5, he healed a man who laid at the, the pool of Bethesda for 38 years with an infirmity. He healed people and he delivered people and he restored people. He opened blind eyes and opened deaf ears and caused the dumb to talk and the lame to walk. He did all those things. So this would have not been out of Jesus' wheelhouse to do something like this. And here comes this nobleman and he begs Jesus. The Bible says that he besought him. The Bible, Scripture says this, that his son was not just sick. He was sick to the point of death. So this wasn't just the sniffles or a cough or a cold or something like that. The Bible says that this son was literally on his deathbed. 
And the concerned and loving father made this trip all the way to Cana of Galilee to have Jesus heal his son. And he besought him. And he asked him, he said, please come down and, and heal my son for he's at the point of death. And this is what Jesus responds. Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. What do signs and wonders have to do with his son being healed? What, do, what does belief have to do with his son being restored from his sickness? This is what Jesus was pointing out here tonight, that their faith that these people expressed, the faith that these people had, whether in Cana of Galilee or anywhere else, when he was along the, the, the excuse me, the Sea of Galilee, when he fed 5,000 people and they're, and they're following him because they want the bread and he's offering the bread of life. The faith that all of these people in the Gospels experienced and expressed, most of them expressed faith that was this, miracle deep. What does that mean? Their faith was only in what Jesus did, not in who he is. Their faith was in the miracles. Their faith was in the signs and in the wonders. And Jesus said, look, if all you see is the signs and wonders, and that's what your faith is in, when you don't see those things anymore, you're going to stop believing. So what makes you think I can heal your son? If all you have faith in is miracles and not in me, then what makes you think that I can actually do something about this? I, I'm not saying Jesus was saying those words, but he's trying, to, uh, he's trying to point them to this, a deeper faith. A stronger faith, a firm faith, a faith that wasn't just in miracles and what they could see. For the scripture says this, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is not identified or defined by what we can see, but by what we cannot. We see the persistence of this nobleman here. He's asked once and Jesus responded with something that we would say was not exactly what he wanted to hear, is it? He says, sir, come down ere my child die. That word besought means that he, he begged, he implored, he beseeched. He, he begged that Jesus would come and heal his son. And it seemed like Jesus was reluctant to do so. You remember in John chapter 11 when, when Lazarus died, right? And when Jesus finally got to where they were at, they said, what? Jesus, if you had been here, our brother had not died. Thing is, Jesus doesn't work on our time, does he? See, Jesus Jesus is not restricted to our program and our schedule and our, our things. No, no, no. Jesus works on his own plan, his own schedule, and his own timing. He says, come down here, my child die. Listen to what Jesus says. We're expecting if you're just a casual reader here tonight and you've never seen this, this account and you're familiar with the, the three Gospels prior to John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, then you would say, okay, as this man has begged Jesus now several times to come down and heal his son, certainly Jesus is going to say, okay, here I come. I'm on my way. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. But that's not what he says, is it? He says, go thy way. Thy son liveth. Why would Jesus say something like that? The man needs his son to be healed, and Jesus is sending him away. The key phrase there, thy son liveth. You see, there's another account in the Gospels where a man by the name of Jairus also begged Jesus to come to his home. He said, my daughter is at home and she's sick. And the Bible says that when Jesus got there, the girl was already dead. The people told him, Jesus, master, don't waste your time. She's already dead. Don't go there. It's no use. And Jesus went anyway. And he raised this girl from the dead. 
And yet this man's son, who is not dead, he's just very, very sick. Jesus refuses to go to his home. And he says, go thy way, thy son liveth. No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. Sure, he's living right now, but that won't, be, that won't last for very long. He won't be living for very long if you don't come down and do something here. He says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And look what he says here. And the man believed. What did he believe? The word that Jesus had spoken to him. Understand this. That Jesus didn't heal his son right away. He didn't come down to his house like this man requested. And yet, based on no evidence, right, no current evidence, the scripture says that the man believed what Jesus said. Understand this, that even when you cannot see what he is doing, believe what Jesus says. He said, hey, I don't have to see it to believe it. All he has to do is say it. Listen to that again. You don't have to see Jesus work. All he has to do is say, I'm doing it. I'll do it. I'm working. And listen to this. Jesus is enough. I'm thankful for God doing miracles. I've seen him do many, many miracles in my life. I've seen him do things that I've never thought were in my wildest dreams possible. And I've seen him do things that, man, I, never, I would never think that Jesus could do something like that. And not because I doubt Jesus' power, because I, I doubt in my own heart and my own life. But he comes through in ways I never thought imaginable. But can I tell you here tonight, if God never caused Israel to part, if he never caused Moses to part the Red Sea, and if he never causes people to walk through on dry ground, and when they were bitten by fiery serpents, and they were, again, and they were dying, all these things, and he raised up the brazen serpent on that pole, and everybody who looked on that pole lived. If he never caused the walls of Jericho to fall down flat, if he never turned that water into wine at the wedding of Canaan and Galilee, if he never walked on the water, if he never parted the sea, if he never did any of those things, there would already be enough because of who he is. I'm going to tell you tonight, Jesus is enough. Hey, I'm thankful for the miracles, but our faith is not in miracles. Our faith is in the God of the miracles. And he told this man, go your way. And listen to this. The word of Jesus was enough. He didn't have to see proof. He didn't have to see evidence. All he had to know was that Jesus said it was so, and that was it. But that doesn't negate something that we call human emotion and human reasoning. Why? Because he lived in Capernaum. How long was it to get to Capernaum again? 16 and a half miles. So would you imagine with me the journey back home? He can't see his son. He doesn't have a telephone. He doesn't have FaceTime where he can call back home and check on him. He doesn't know what's going on. All he has is what Jesus said. And I'm sure that was a long 16 and a half miles, probably a lot longer than it was to get there as his heart and mind is consumed with the condition and the welfare of his son. And he got home. And the Bible says that his servants met him before he got to the door. And they said, you're not going to believe this. Your son is alive. Your son liveth. He's doing well. He's doing fine. He's healed. He's restored. He's delivered. And he said, uh, what time did he start feeling better? When did he start coming around? When did he start to get up off his bed? When did the fever break? When did he start to make his way back to full health and restoration? When did that take place? When did that happen? The Bible says about yesterday at the seventh hour. Nothing unique or outstanding about the seventh hour except 
that that was the very time that Jesus told him his son was alive. He said the same time yesterday, he said he knew. He knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said, your son liveth. And look at this. And himself believed in his whole house. You know the purpose for Jesus healing this son? It wasn't for the son. It was for the father and the family. For what? To increase their faith. To grow their faith. You say, well, clearly this man didn't have faith. No, no, no. He made that journey to Cana of Galilee. I believe he did have faith. I believe he had faith because he went to Jesus because he knew he was the only person that could do something about it. I believe he had faith because even though Jesus didn't come to his home, he sent him on his way and he went. He went all the way back home, not knowing for sure whether or not his son, he knew what Jesus said, but in his own heart, he really had no evidence that his son was okay. And the Bible says that when this was all over, they believed. I don't count myself to be a great Bible scholar, and maybe some of you don't as well, but I'll give you a tip here tonight. If you read any account in the Gospels or anywhere in the Bible, when Jesus does something or any kind of miracle like this, and there's somewhere in the section where it says, and somebody believed, you can stop reading right there. That was the purpose. That was the goal. That was the desire of Jesus, that people would put their faith and trust in him. That's why he came. He said, well, what about the miracles and what about all those things? Those are great things that he did those things while he was alive. But I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus came to cause people, to lead people, to put their faith and trust in him. And if he had to perform a miracle to do it, then he would. If he had to do it by a spoken word, then he would. No matter what, it was all about faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And because this man had faith, his son was restored to full health. Because this man had faith, the rest of his family had faith as well. Understand this, that faith is not an inherited thing. It's not that because my parents were saved, that means I'm saved. That's not what we're talking about here tonight. That's a choice that each and every person has to make for themselves. But I tell you what, when you get around somebody who has strong faith, it tends to influence you, doesn't it? It tends to rub off on you. And you see the strong faith that this father displayed. It couldn't be denied by the rest of his family. And the Bible says that they also believe, much like Acts chapter number 16, when the Philippian jailer and all his house got saved and baptized because of the testimony of Paul and Silas. Same is going on here. The faith spread to the whole entire home and the family there. All because and all because it started with something that this man did not want to hear. My son's sick. You won't believe unless you see a miracle. Please come down and help my son. Go home, he's all right. Not exactly what he wanted to hear. But guess what? Hearing something that he didn't exactly want to hear was exactly what he needed to hear. And that changed his life. You know, it's no secret that everybody here tonight has needs, great and small. You know, no matter who you are, if we can be honest tonight, it takes humility to go somebody about them. It takes humility to admit that you have a need and, and you, can't, you can't meet it yourself. I'm thankful when Jesus makes up that shortage. I'm thankful when Jesus does miracles in our lives. You say, well, I've never seen him part the Red Sea. I've never seen him walk on the water in my life. Maybe not. But have you seen him come through in a way that you couldn't, nor anybody else that you know could? 
Have you seen him do things that you could, you could say, hey, that's only something that Jesus could do? Maybe look in your bank account. Not a lot of money in there. But the bills keep on coming, don't they? And somehow, some way, those bills got taken care of. Doctor said, I'm not sure what we're going to do about this, but we got to do something quick. And several months, weeks, or years later, your health has never been better. I'm here to tell you tonight, that's not coincidence. That's not just something that happens by chance. That is the working of Almighty God. And only he can do what he does. There's nobody like him. He's one of one. The Bible says this, I am the Lord and beside me there is no other. So understanding this, before we put our faith in anything else, understand this, that Jesus can, only Je nobody can do what Jesus does. Nobody can do what he does. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, we become immune, I don't know if that's the word, satisfied, content with the miracles. This is not to negate the significance or the importance or the amazingness of miracles. I don't know if amazingness is a word. Anybody got a dictionary tonight? This is not to negate miracles, but this is to say this. Our faith was never intended to be in those. Our faith was intended to be in Jesus. So when we begin to get to this point, when we put our faith in miracles, here's what we do. God, I need something. And he says, okay, I'm going to do it. And this is what we say, okay, I'll believe when you prove it. That's not faith. That's not trusting God. It's not, okay, you prove it and then I'll believe. No, it's you believe and then I'll prove it. The truth is, tonight, that who he is is enough. Who he is is enough. This is what I'm saying, that if we never saw another single miracle in our life, if we never saw God do anything else for us in our life, number one, we've already experienced way more than any of us deserve. But number two, who he is is more than enough. It doesn't matter if we get to see the financial or the health or the spiritual. It doesn't matter if we get to see another blessing in this life. Who he is is enough. What if Abraham said to God, you want me to leave my home and everything that I know to be familiar? I'm not going. You know, you, know what Abraham, you know what God said to Abraham, don't you remember back in Genesis? He said, leave your home. He said, and go to the land. He said this. He said, I'll tell you you're there when you get there. How many would take that journey? How many use GPS to get to where you're going sometime? I use it a lot. I would be very uncomfortable if I just had to drive. And somebody said, okay. Here's where you just get in the car and start driving. And when you get to where you're supposed to be, I'll let you know you arrived. That's what God said to Abraham. He told him he would, he would give him this land for his, and, and for his inheritance and for his family to come. And he had nothing to go on but the word of God. What if Abraham said, God, I'm not going until you tell me where I'm supposed to be? What if God told David exactly how Goliath needed to be defeated? Exactly how he planned to defeat Goliath. Do you think the shepherd boy would have took the battlefield that day? Maybe not. We don't know. But if God told him, David, uh, take, a, take a stone and a sling and go out on the battlefield against Goliath. 
I, I, don't, know, I don't know about David, but I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be a transparent. I'd have a hard time doing that. They, the Bible says uh, Goliath was a warrior from his youth, and David was a shepherd. You say, what's a shepherd? Not a warrior. And yet, faith said, I'm going to go and defeat this giant. Back in Judges chapter number 6, God told Gideon 32,000 men against the Midianites was too many. Too many. The Bible says that the Midianites were like grasshoppers on the shore for multitude. There was a whole, whole bunch of them. He whittled it down to 300 men. Gideon looked around at his 300 and said, I don't know about you fellows, but I'm going home. What if Gideon did that? Would have never got to see the miracle of God defeating them, not even with a weapon, with swords. You read the, you read the count, they had pitchers, lamps, and trumpets. Not battle strategies, not weapons of warfare. Only something God could do. Instead of insisting tonight that God come through with that next financial miracle or whatever it is, how about just trust that Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, will see too that you have what you need. Instead of wondering how that sickness is going to leave your body or how you're going to get well, put your faith and trust in Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, who has already seen the test results before they were even run. Not always told what we want to hear as Christians in this life. And it's not that we need to be comfortable, but it's that sometimes our faith needs to be tested. So I'm going to encourage you tonight to do this. Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in who he is, not just in what he does. What he does is great, but who he is is enough. How about this? Take a dive into deeper faith. Not just the faith that says, Lord, I'll believe if you do this. If I'll believe if. That's not faith. Faith says, Lord, I'll believe no matter what. That's the kind of faith that he's calling us to tonight. Anybody can have faith in miracles. It's easy, isn't it? If you saw, if you were on that hillside when Jesus fed 5,000 people, wouldn't it be easy for you to believe in him? Absolutely. But what if we get told something that's not exactly what we want to hear? What if it's something that is the opposite of what we want to hear? Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in God. Because who he is is enough. I don't know where you are tonight. I, it will be foolish of me to assume that I know and, and, and I can speak to every situation, but that's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I will say this. Your faith needs to be tested. You say, my faith is strong. It needs to be tested. I was told one time that for a Christian to pray for is patience. Because if you're not careful, God will give you a situation in which you can be patient. And then you wish that he hadn't. You say, well, my faith is not being tested. Then you're in one of three categories. It has already been tested or is getting ready to be tested. But wherever you find yourself here tonight, faith is tested. And when it's tested, here's what you need to do. Have faith in who Jesus is, not just what he does. 
take a dive in the deeper faith, and here's what you'll find, that who he is is more than enough. Let's stand here tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.